Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Church, it's Pastor Jim. Good to be with you again. Happy Easter. God bless your celebration today. I know we make a big deal out of Christmas, but I think Easter is the biggest event of the year in the Christian calendar. Today, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead, that the God of all creation walked on the earth, lived a life of love and grace so that we could reconnect with him, so that we could find our Lord and our Savior. And then he rose from the dead, showing that he was the Lord of all of life. And so we celebrate that today. Uh, And I am thankful for that. In order to get into our study of God's word this morning, I first need to hear your opinion on a very important subject. So if you you have not downloaded the church app already, you definitely want to download that uh, by texting RLLA app to 77977, and then you'll get a text that'll help you download the app. And you'll find on there a survey. Uh, If you go to the the uh, app, there's a, there's a survey question of the day, uh, and this is uh, what it says. Uh, how do you prefer to wake up in the morning? How do you prefer to wake up in the morning? Uh, one, with an alarm clock at the crack of dawn. Two, naturally with the sunrise. Three, to the smell of freshly cooking lunch. Or four, Uh, the only correct option is snooze. So which of those four do you best uh, uh, like when you have to wake up in the morning? Uh, Today is uh, the morning of all mornings, and so I want to hear how you most prefer to wake up. Go ahead and fill that out in your app, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be talking about an important waking up uh, that went on in history today. Let's take a minute, let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this uh, day of celebration, the day in which we remember the greatest event in all of history. And I thank you that because you rose from the dead, we can rise from the dead. Because Jesus appeared on that Easter morning, we will have new life in you when we believe, when we follow after our Lord and Savior. The day will come where we rise again. I thank you for Easter. I thank you for its message. God, send your spirit into our hearts today. For those who have been wandering and who have held you at arm's length, call us back today by the power of your spirit. Resurrect us. Turn us back from dead life into new life. Turn us back from empty religion into living faith. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We're going to be doing a study this morning from the Gospel of John chapter 2, and so you can go ahead and open your Bibles or turn them on to John chapter 2 at verse 13, and we're going to look at what happened on that great morning uh, 2,000 years ago. John chapter 2, starting at verse 13, listen to the Word of God. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, If you were here last week, if you uh, tuned in last week, we talked about Passover, that great Independence Day celebration in which the Jewish people would go to Jerusalem to worship God and remember the fact that God had set them free from slavery in Egypt. 
And they long for the day where God would set them free from the rulership of Rome. And Jesus goes into Jerusalem for the Independence Day celebration and is hailed as a coming king. They want him to go in and they, they want him to toss out Herod. But instead he goes to the temple, to the place of worship. And instead of throwing out Rome, he throws out an entirely different group of people. Uh, verse 14. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Uh, uh, he, those, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And that last line, zeal for your house will consume me, is a quote from the Hebrew scriptures from Psalm 69, verse 9. And anytime a New Testament author quotes the Old Testament, they actually want you to know the context in which that quote appears. So whenever you see a New Testament author quote the Old Testament, go back and read the passage in which that verse appears because the context matters. And Psalm 69 verse 9 actually says, zeal for the Lord's house will consume me and the insults of those who insult you insult God, fall on me. So when people insult God, those insults fall on me. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is God and man. Jesus is God as a human being walking the earth. And so when you insult God, when you, when you uh, take advantage of God, those insults fall on Jesus. And this is why Jesus is insulted by the money changers in the temple. This is important. Uh, I've seen people misunderstand this. Uh, I've seen people in churches get mad when the youth group is selling, you know, uh, chili cook-off tickets in the, uh, in the lobby because they say, oh, that's the money changers in the temple. That's not what it was. In order to worship in the first century temple, a Jewish person would go to the temple and bring the best uh, of their herds, the best animals from their herds, and offer them as sacrifices on the altar. And that sacrifice was how they were reconciled to God. You see, if, if you sin against God, if you reject God, you're rejecting the creator and sustainer of life. And the only logical consequence should be death. We should die for defying God. But in the, in the Jewish system, if you took one of your best animals to the altar, the, the animal was sacrificed. And it became sort of a graphic object lesson of the death that we deserve for rejecting God. But the animal becomes a substitute. The animal dies in the place of the person who brought the animal. And because that animal has paid the cost of that person's sin, that person is then forgiven. They're reconciled to God by virtue of the sacrifice. They are forgiven because they have offered a sacrifice in their place. The money changers are saying, in order to be reconciled to God, you have to give us your money. You can't be reconciled to God unless we profit off of it. It'd be like setting up a sign in front of the church that says you can't come to church and worship unless you buy a ticket to church. It's, it's, that, it's that extreme and worse. Uh, 
And so Jesus is incensed that the money changers are literally blocking people from a reconciled relationship with God if they don't pay first. And Jesus says, the insults that you pay to God, you're dumping on me. That's the, the gist of uh, this passage. So, verse 18. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them. And here's the, here's the verse of the morning. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Highlight that, underline that. That one's powerful. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, uh, threatening to tear down the temple is a big thing because uh, the temple has been torn down before. 500 years before, Babylon came in and wrecked Jerusalem and tore down the temple. And, and when you threaten to tear down the temple, you're threatening the whole nation. You're threatening the Jewish identity because the temple is the center of the Jewish identity. It's the heart of Jewish worship. It's not like American churches where there's one on every corner and you can pick your favorite one like you pick your favorite flavor of ice cream. There was only one temple and God's spirit lived in the temple. God's spirit lived in the inner court of the temple. That was God's home. And the, the whole identity of the Jewish nation rested on the presence of God inside the temple. And it was, it was made all the more clear by the fact that there was a, a giant curtain hung in front of the inner court of the temple, separating a sinful humanity from a perfect God. This, this curtain was the, the ultimate representation that God was in there being protected from broken humanity around him. And so threatening to tear down the temple was not a small thing. You do not threaten to tear down the temple. You are threatening to tear down the place where God lives. Now, the, the text tells us, John tells us, this is a wordplay. Jesus is, is messing around. He says, tear down this temple, and he knows how they're going to take it. They're going to take it literally, but he's referring to his body because he's going to die and rise from the dead on the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He's going to rise on the third day. There's only one previous reference to this uh, three-day dying and rising, uh, and it's in, the, it's in the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah is swallowed by a big fish and is in the belly of the big fish for three days. Right? And Jesus at one point says, the only miracle this generation is going to get, this, this skeptical generation is going to get, is the miracle of Jonah. And that's his way of forecasting, of predicting, prophesying that he's going to die and rise again in three days. But of course, the Jewish leaders think he's being literal. He's standing at the temple and think he's being literal. He goes, it took 46 years to rebuild this place after Babylon tore it down. What are you talking about? Uh, but there's a, there's a deeper, uh, there's, there are deeper word plays uh, at work here as well. Uh, a second word play that Jesus uses, and I love this one. When I saw this, I was like, oh, this is so good. Um, Jesus says, tear this temple down, and I will raise it in three days. And the word raise uh, in Greek is agairo, and agairo does not mean rebuild a building. Raise is used in only a couple of ways in the ancient Greek language. The poet Homer used it 
It's used elsewhere in the Bible. Uh, and when it's used elsewhere in the Bible, it's not translated raise like rebuild a building. It's used to refer to bringing someone back to life after they have died or for waking someone up forcefully. When someone has fallen asleep and you shake them and wake them up, agyro, you have awakened them. Jesus is saying, kill this temple and I'll give it new life. Tear this temple down and I will wake it up. I read that and I was like, oh, that's so good. This sermon's going to preach itself. That's so good. Tear this temple down and I will wake it up. Easter morning, they go to the tomb and they find Jesus woke up before them that day. There's, there's a kind of waking up that Jesus is going to do in the world after his resurrection and awakening to a new kingdom. Because they've settled into a, a sleepy and stale religious tradition. They've settled into old and dead temples. And Jesus wants to wake them up. There's a, there's a, a, a fascinating fascinating play that he's doing here in, in that he's talking to the religious leaders, talking to the Pharisees. First, there's the, the literal meaning, the literal sense of what he means. And he's talking about his death on the cross. Just as Jewish people would bring animals to the temple to sacrifice them, and that would become a payment for their sins. That would pay their debt so that they could be reconciled to God. In the same way, Jesus would die on the cross as a final sacrifice for you and I. So that when we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, all of our sins are forgiven. All of our sins are washed away. The scriptures say that God puts our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west. When we believe in Jesus, the Bible literally te teaches that God forgets our sins. That an omniscient being forgets our sins. When you believe in Jesus, even today, all of your sins are washed away. And then on the third day, he rises from the dead, showing that he is the Lord of life and vindicating all of his claims about himself. Jesus is again teaching them that just as the Jewish people brought animals to be sacrificed, so he would be sacrificed and rise again. And that's the celebration of Easter. That's why Easter is the heart of the Christian calendar. And what that means for you and I is that you and I can make a decision today to commit our lives to Jesus and say, no matter how far I've wandered away, no matter how many times I've rejected you, no matter how many idols I've turned to and things I've put in your place, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And when we do that, the past is finished and gone and everything is made new. We are forgiven and we are saved and we are awakened to new life. The next step is then baptism. Baptism is that physical sign on the outside of what's going on, what's going on, on the inside. Because just like water washes away dirt, Believing in Jesus washes away sin. And if you've never been baptized before and you decide for the first time today that you want to follow Jesus, it's time to be baptized. It's time to show to the Christian community, this is what I believe. This is what I stand for. Jesus has made me new. 
Uh, if you want to be baptized uh, on uh, Easter morning, we are happy to baptize. There is a, a baptismal set up in the parking lot, uh, and we are, we are happy to baptize you today. We have t-shirts and towels. Don't let that be a, uh, uh, a deterrent. Um, it's time to be baptized. And that shows the church community, here's where I stand. This is what I believe in. This is what my life is all about. In the very next passage, after this, Jesus is going to tell someone, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Uh, and I love the terminology, born again. Because there was, uh, there's actually a time in history that we now refer to, uh, in the Western world, as the born again period in history. Uh, and it's called the Renaissance. Because that literally means re, means again, and nascence means birth. It's the, the born again time in history. Because uh, we now refer to that, historians refer to that, as a season in which people awaken from the sleepy and dogmatic religion of the Middle Ages into a season of exploring God's creation with the arts and the sciences, discovering the world that God made and painting the, the beautiful works of art that captured the biblical story like it had never been captured before. Well, some of us, need to have a renaissance of our own today, a rebirth today. We need to be born again out of a sleepy and stale religion that we've settled for into the new life that Jesus wants for us. Some people have settled into a kind of stale and sleepy tradition that is not what Jesus envisioned. Some of us need to say yes in a different way. We, we've already said yes to Jesus, but now we need to say yes at a deeper level. Picture this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. They have settled into religion and ritual, tradition and control. And they use their religion to keep the insiders in and the outsiders out. The Pharisees were the religious dogmatists who went around shaming people who disagreed with them or who led broken lives. They had settled into old temples and dead religion. And some of us carry an old temple in our hearts out of which we need to be awakened. Some of us have settled into a kind of religion that we, we thought was the real thing, but it just doesn't do anything for us. Uh, and I know, exactly, I know exactly who you are. You're tuning in today because it's Easter. And we'll hear from you again at Christmas, unless your kids have some kind of show during the year. And you grew up in religion, and you really believe. You really believe in God. There's not, not a question to you that he's there, but it just doesn't hold all that much weight to you. You, you were brought up in church because you're, you're supposed to be a moral person. And you believe the Ten Commandments, you know, like, a, like a love your neighbor and don't be a jerk and whatever the Ten Commandments are, because I don't really remember, but we've, you know, I grew up in it and I've, I've settled for it. And I just, you know, I'm supposed to be a good person, so I am. But church always feels like an institution to you. It's got an insider vocabulary. It's got a dress code. And you never felt all that close to the guy standing up front. And honestly, as much as you believe, when it comes to God himself, you, you think he's up there somewhere, but you, you don't really know what it means to connect with him. And you're not always sure that he's paying attention. 
And in your heart, you've settled into a sleepy religion and an old temple. You've settled into something that doesn't give you life. This is what the Pharisees lived in. They lived in a world of tradition and ritual. They lived in an institution in which if you had led a broken life, it would be better to stay out of the watchful gaze of the keepers of the temple because your life wasn't all that great and you were told that God was this perfect being kept behind a curtain, couldn't get near sinful humanity like you. Well, if that's the religion you bring with you this morning, this is what Jesus wants to say to you. Tear down that temple, and I will bring a new one to life. Tear down a temple of ritual and religion, and I will give you a, a temple of living faith. Tear down the temple of shame and guilt of the manipulative churches, and I will give you love and new life. Tear down the fear that God is someone you're not supposed to get close to, and I will come in and I will break bread with you. I will share the table with you. You and I will spend every day together. Tear down the dead temple that you've settled for and let Jesus come and live in your heart. Um, I actually saw someone uh, just this last week. Uh, I, saw, I saw someone awaken, and this was, this was miraculous. This was, this was amazing. Um, I take part in, the, in these prayer teams, uh, that uh, meet about once a week on Zoom. And we have a prayer team of three or four people, and uh, people all over the country schedule appointments to call in to be prayed for. And they'll call in uh, just for about 10 minutes, and each person in our little circle will pray for them. And we don't really know anything about the person. We don't know where they are necessarily. We don't know what they do for a living. Uh, we, we know next to nothing. They just call in. They say, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Bob, I'm Joe, and, and we pray for them. And Sometimes God shows up in incredible ways in those prayers. So this, just this last week, this guy called in for prayer. And uh, he didn't even turn on his video camera. So I can't even see his face. All I can see is his name across the, across the screen. It says Carlos. So that's all I know about him. I don't know his last name. I don't know where he is. I don't know what he does for a living. I don't know how old he is. I can't see him. All I see is his name across the screen. And we say, Carlos, welcome, we're going to pray for you. And people in the circle began to pray. And they prayed God's blessings over him. They reminded him that God loved him. They prayed good things for him. And then it came to me, and I said, uh, uh, I, saw this, I saw this really clear image in my mind, and I, I decided I was going to go out on a limb. And I said, uh, so Carlos, I, um, I see this, this restaurant, and all the lights are on. Uh, because it's nighttime, and the restaurant is, is open at night, and everything around it is dark because everything else is closed, but this, this restaurant is open. And I hear the words, bread for the nations. I'm actually Googling and trying to find, what bread for the nations, what is that? And uh, I hear the words, bread for the nations, and I'm reminded of that passage in Genesis where Joseph ends up going to Egypt, and he doesn't like the journey. He's rejected. He's thrown out. He ends in prison. Uh, he, it's a terrible journey. But because he ends up in Egypt, God uses him not just to provide for himself, but to provide bread for the nations, to provide for his own family when they end up in a famine. And I'm reminded of that passage in Ezekiel, when Ezekiel has to lie down in the street and cook. And God says there's going to come a season where God's 
where the people don't have enough food, but you will because you're going to sit in the street and you're going to cook in front of them. And so, Carlos, I don't know what that means, but I have this sense that God's going to provide not just for you, but you're going to provide food for other people. Now, remember, I can't see Carlos, so I have no idea what expression he has on his face. But I sit there in silence for a second, feeling very stupid for having said all that and wishing I had just said, God loves you and wants to bless you, because that would have applied to anybody. I sit there in silence for a second, and I can't see if, if his face looks like, this guy is completely weird. And then he starts bawling. And the first words he can get out are, oh my God, that's exactly right. And so then, emboldened by that, I said, so, so Carlos, I can see really clearly in my mind this restaurant with the lights on at night. What is that place? And he says, that's my shop. I'm a pastry chef, right? Bread for the nations. I'm a pastry chef. And I've struggled so hard during the pandemic that this, this last effort I'm trying is to keep the shop open later at night in the hopes that people will come in after dinner for a pastry for dessert. He's crying while he says all this. He goes, I've, I've pushed God away in this last year. I've ignored God. I've put him on, on the, the back burner because I've been so frustrated about how hard this year has been. He says, I don't, I don't deserve God. He said, I, I just can't, I can't believe how specific that is. And at that point, we were able to just lavish him in encouragement and say, God knows absolutely everything going on in your life, and God loves you and wants to provide for you. Even when we ignore God, he doesn't ignore us. He pays attention to the tiniest little details of our lives. He is just waiting to get back involved in our lives. He wants to do life with us, and God sees what you're doing. God wants to bless you. Uh, we, uh, we prayed like this for a while, and the last thing's the last thing that Carlos said before we got off the call was, could somebody please send me a recording of this call? <laughs> I know that today Carlos is celebrating Easter like never before because Jesus woke him up. And Jesus wants to wake you and I up. He wants us to, to tear down the old temples of dead and stale religion. And to awaken to new life in him. He didn't walk the earth so that we could feel distant from him. He walked the earth so that we could draw close to him. He didn't go to the cross so that we could feel distant from him. He went to the cross so that we could be reconciled to him. He wants to be a living presence in your life today. Not just at Christmas and Easter, but every single day. He wants to awaken you for what you have been forced to settle for. So that you live life with him. Jesus wants to awaken us to new life in him. Uh, and, uh, and I want that for us as well. We're, we're going to start a new prayer class next week, next Sunday, uh, in the evening by Zoom called Cultivating Your Prayer Life. And there's, there's no limit on how many people can sign up for it. And uh, it's free to the public. Everybody, you don't have to be a part of our church. Just sign up for Cultivating Your Prayer Life. We're just going to learn how to talk to Jesus together and listen to Jesus and pray and live every day uh, a life of prayer. Jesus wants to awaken us to life in him. And then he wants to awaken us to changing the world. He wants to awaken us to living life on mission. That's what he did in the lives of his disciples. He awakened them from the, the dead, stale religion in which they had grown up and, and set them free to new life. And I've seen people awaken from sleepy religion 
to changing the world. I remember a, a great story of a kid who was in my youth group years and years ago when I worked with teenagers at a church. Um, there was, a, there was a, a youth group I worked with, and, and every year we would go down to Mexico and build houses for poor families down there. We've done it together at Real Life Church as well, and uh, we're looking forward to doing it again as soon as the way is made clear to pile into vans and travel down to Mexico and stay in a dorm and uh, build houses or, or churches. Uh, we're looking forward to doing that again. But there was this kid in my youth group that, uh, that came out of a sort of a, a sleepy, well-to-do community and... Uh, had sort of a sleepy religious background and was headed off towards an adulthood of sleepy normalcy. And then he joined my youth group and he started coming on these mission trips with us. Uh, and at one point he said, um, he said, I, I think I want to, I think I want to live, I think I want to live my life for Jesus. I think I really want my life to count in God's kingdom. Uh, there was a it was kind of a funny habit uh, I got in on these mission trips. We'd go down there, and uh, on the very first Mexico mission trip, day one, Monday, uh, we got up in the morning, and what we were going to do is every single day, Monday to Friday, sun up to sundown, we are going to work out in the hot sun, building houses so that it'd be done by the end of the week. And uh, you get really grubby and really gross on these trips. And I, I got up on Monday morning, and I put on this just bright, loud, pink shirt. I don't mean like sort of pink. I mean like three miles away, people were going, oh, that thing's pink over there. And so I put on this pink shirt in the morning and all the kids in the youth group just make fun of me because I'm wearing this outrageous pink shirt. And I objected and I said, this shirt is not pink. It's sort of, it's like a rosy salmon color. It's not pink. And they just made fun of me because now I had a rosy salmon mission shirt. And it sort of became like the youth group mascot on these Mexico trips. I had the Rosie Salmon mission shirt. And I would wake up on Monday, wear it all day long in the hot sun, sweating, getting gross and dirty. And then I'd wake up on Tuesday and i put the same shirt on. Never washed it. Never washed. Every day, all week long, same gross, disgusting Rosie Salmon mission shirt. And uh, it became sort of a running joke. And I did it every single year. I don't think I ever washed that shirt once. Every single year, wore this to Mexico. Um, when it came time for this kid to graduate, uh, I had this sense that he was on the way to a meaningful life in ministry. And so I went to his graduation, and I took him a, a package, a gift. There at his graduation, we're all celebrating, and he opens the package, and there inside the box is the rosy salmon mission shirt. <laughs> Still hadn't washed it. And he graduated, and he went off to his life, and I moved away, and I went off to my life, and we lost contact for a few years. And then he found me, got in touch, and he actually sent me a, a letter in the mail with a picture in it. And he said, he said, Jim, I'm, I'm now a missionary in China. Uh, we're leading a church over here. And um, I'm, leading, I'm leading kids to Jesus, and adults are converting. And I want to show you something. And he had this picture inside. Um, of him sitting on like a futon in his living room. And behind him, on the wall, <laughs> was thumbtacked the rosy salmon mission shirt <laughs> that he had kept all these years as a missionary in China. Still didn't look like he had washed it. <laughs> and I have no doubt <laughs> that that guy 
has lived a life in which he is changing other people's lives, in which there's probably a whole generation of students now who carry tokens that he's passed on to them of, of the, the mission that they've shared of living for Jesus. He, he came out of a kind of a sleepy religion that would have pushed him towards normalcy and a quiet life. And he now lives life on mission for Jesus every single day. He, he turned to a life of prayer and changing the world because Jesus woke him up. And that's what Jesus wants to do with you and I. That is the story of Easter. Jesus walked the earth so that we could enter into a relationship with God and live life with him on mission, not a life of stale and dead religion, which just makes us feel bad about ourselves and keeps the insiders in and the outsiders out, but a real life of Jesus surrounded by forgiveness and love, living to make his love known to a broken world around us. Jesus rose from the dead so that you and I could rise from the dead. He rose to wake us up. And if you have settled for a dead and stale religion, it is time to leave it behind and start living every day on a mission for Jesus. At the end of his life, when he was crucified, something mysterious happened. That big curtain in the temple that kept a, a perfect God separate from a, a broken humanity out there was ripped in half, top to bottom, the moment Jesus was crucified. It was a sign, it was a symbol, that God's spirit was no longer going to be contained inside an old temple. It was now on the loose in the world. And it's on the loose, hunting for people like a child hunts for Easter eggs, looking for people who are asleep to wake them up to life in Jesus and to life on mission to change the world. What are you? Are you some plastic egg filled with that gross, chalky Easter candy just hiding in a corner? Or are you a living thing waiting to hatch because Jesus walked the earth to know you and to live life with you? And if today you will commit to him and put your life in his hands, Jesus will wake you up to life like you've never had it before. That's the message of Easter. And that's what Jesus wants for you and for me today. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for all that you say, all that you sacrificed and all that you gave for us. I thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. I thank you that in you we are free. Wash away the brokenness of yesterday. Wash away our sin and our sleep and awaken us to life in you. May we live every day with our full attention committed to you by the power of your spirit. May we live on mission, seeking people whose lives are broken and lost to introduce them to you. God, use our lives for your holy purposes. Tear open the curtain in our hearts that keeps us separate from you and from real life. Jesus, awaken us to you and to the mission you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Happy Easter. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. 
If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.